Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. The Leviticus chapter 9, verse 1 to chapter 10, verse 7. On the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. He said to Aaron, Take a bull calf for your sin offering and a ram for your burnt offering, both without defect, and present them to the Lord. Then say to the Israelites, Take a male goat for a sin offering, a calf and a lamb, both a year old and without defect, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for a fellowship offering to sacrifice before the Lord, together with a grain offering mixed with olive oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. They took the things Moses commanded to the front of the tent of meeting, and the entire assembly came near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Moses said to Aaron, Come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and the people. Sacrifice the offering that is for the people and make atonement For them, as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron came to the altar and slaughtered the calf as a sin offering for himself. His sons brought the blood to him, and he dipped his fingers in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar. The rest of the body he poured out on the base of the altar. On the altar he burned the fat, the kidneys, and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering, as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the hide he burned up outside the camp. Then he slaughtered the burnt offering. His sons handed him the blood, and he splashed it against the sides of the altar. They handed him the burnt offering piece by piece, including the head, and he burned them on the altar. He washed the internal organs and the legs and burned them on top of the burnt offering on the altar. Aaron then brought the offering that was for the people. He took the goat for the people's sins offering and slaughtered it and offered it for a sin offering as he did with the first one. He brought the burnt offering and offered it in the prescribed way. He also brought the grain offering, took a handful of it and burned it on the altar in addition to the morning's burnt offering. He slaughtered the ox and the ram as a fellowship offering for the people. His son handed him the blood and he splashed it against the sides of the altar. But the fat portions of the ox and the ram, the fat tail, the layer of fat, the kidneys and the long loads of the, rib, of the liver These they laid on the breasts, and then Aaron burned the fat on the altar. Aaron waved the breasts and the right thigh before the Lord as a wave offering, as Moses commanded. Then Aaron lifted his hands towards the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed a sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. And Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them and added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord 
Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honoured. Aaron remained silent. Moses summoned Mishael and Elzaphan, sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and said to them, come here, carry your cousins outside the camp, away from the front of the sanctuary. So they came and carried them, still in their tunics outside the camp, as Moses ordered. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, do not let your hair become unkempt and do not tear your clothes or you will die. And the Lord will be angry with the whole community. But your relatives, all the Israelites, may mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire. Do not leave the entrance of the tent of meeting or you will die because the Lord's anointing oil is you, is on you. So they did as Moses said. Hear the word of the Lord. Watch your life and your doctrine carefully. So wrote, writes the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 4.16. Watch your life and your doctrine carefully. A challenge for all believers, but especially for Timothy, who was a leader among God's people. So when we hear this verse today, watch your life and your doctrine carefully, it's a hard word because we live in a world that prizes self-expression rather than self-restraint and we're sloppy with doctrine or teaching. It seems to be something belonging to the past. I was on a selection conference last year. That's where folk who want to become Anglican ministers are interviewed over a couple of days. And there was one fellow who presented. He was a Roman Catholic priest. He wanted to become an Anglican, I think because he wanted to get married. I asked him some questions about the doctrine of justification by grace through faith, an important teaching for Anglicans, and he stumbled over his reply. Then in the debrief afterwards, when those doing the interviews gathered together, I I contributed my insights that he didn't really understand what being Protestant was about, that he didn't know how to answer a question about justification. And one of the others on the interview panel said, Reese, haven't we got past that yet? Why are we still talking about doctrine or about justification by grace through faith? Yes, we live in a world of self-expression rather than self-restraint and we also live in a world where we're impatient with doctrine because we feel like it belongs to the past where Christians divided or disagreed with each other. writes to his leader, Timothy, and says, watch your life and your doctrine carefully. In fact, that verse could be the banner over one uh, over uh, Leviticus chapters 9 and 10. It helps us, it gives us a frame for thinking about what these chapters mean. Now, the people of God are still at Sinai, Okay, they were at Sinai in Exodus. 
They're at Sinai for all of Leviticus, and they're also at Sinai for a whole lot of numbers as well. They're still learning the basic lessons for leadership. They're learning what it means to be the people of God now, that they have the law, what it means to enjoy the Lord's presence, and the leaders are still working out what it means that their job is to help people meet the Lord. At the tabernacle, uh, they meet God. That's why it's called the tent of meeting. Now, last week we learned about uh, the leaders of God's people, priests being guardians of grace, being those whose job it was to help people meet the Lord. And this week we're learning the next lesson there to be not just guardians of grace, but heroes of holiness as well. It's not just enough to help other people meet the Lord. Your own soul, your own life before the Lord is a significant part of how you lead. What does it mean to be heroes of holiness? Well, my tag for what holiness means is merely this, learning to be on the Lord's side. Learning to be like the Lord because we're on the Lord's side. Learning to teach others what it means to be on the Lord's side and to be like him as well. So in chapter 9 of Leviticus, how did the priests show that they're on the Lord's side? Well, we see it again and again. They did exactly as Moses instructed them, as Moses commanded them. They were following the instructions that Moses had received from the Lord. They've been in ISO for seven days before chapter 9 when they were getting ordained. They've come out of isolation and now on the eighth day they begin offering a whole lot of sacrifices. If you look at chapter 9, verse 2, there's basically three kinds of sacrifices. Moses said to Aaron, take a bull calf for your sin offering and a ram for your burnt offering, both without defect, present them before the Lord. And we learn a little bit later uh, that there's also a fellowship offering, a grain offering mixed with olive oil. These sacrifices are trying to teach the people what being holy is about. It's about acknowledging sin. It's about dedicating yourself to the Lord's service. It's about expressing solidarity with the Lord and his people. They're the priests are being instructed in sacrifices, not just because God likes making up rules, but because these are object lessons in how to think about what it means to be on the Lord's side, what it means to belong to a holy God. And the priests are teaching the people. They're not just offering sacrifices for themselves. They're offering sacrifices for the people. They're actually explaining to the people what kind of sacrifices they should bring to be sacrificed, and they were slightly different from the ones the priests offered for themselves. One of the functions of a church service is to help people learn what it means to be on the Lord's side, what it means to be a holy people. 
as Jake read to us from 1 Peter 2. My job in this sermon, our job in chapel, is to help you learn what it means to be the holy people of God, the royal priesthood. What it means for you to be on the Lord's side. And we do that by confessing our sins. We do that by praying, aligning ourselves with the Lord's will. We do that on occasions by taking communion and by being sent out into the world. We're learning what it means for us to be holy, to be on the Lord's side. And so in chapter 9, the priests, Aaron, offer the sacrifices exactly as Moses commanded. Did you see that phrase recur several times? And when all the sacrifices have been offered, verse 22, Aaron lifted his hand toward the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, the fellowship offering, the three kinds of offerings that he had that day, he stepped down. He is trying to reassure the people by blessing them, by raising his hand and speaking to them, that they're on the Lord's side. They've done exactly as the Lord has required of them. They can expect his peace and his protection and his presence as they leave the tent of meeting. So in verse 23, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. In fact, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering, the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. They went into the tent of meeting and they came out alive. That's always a good sign. They blessed the people and then the fire licked the burnt offerings, but not the people. The fire from God consumed all their sacrifices, but not the priests. They'd done exactly what the Lord asked of them. In Exodus 40, the glory of the Lord had come down and had dwelt in the temple, in the tabernacle, I beg your pardon. But now it's the next step. Not only was the glory in the tabernacle, the people could see that God was present when his own fire licked the altar and consumed the sacrifices. God was at home and he was happy. God was close to them and the, the people experienced God's closeness. They were holy like him. They had shown that they were on his side. The climax of their time at Sinai was not Moses going up the mountain and receiving the law. It was at this moment in Leviticus 9 when all the people saw the glory of the Lord and fell down and worshipped. And it might well be, as an aside, that when, Moses, when Aaron lifts his hands and blesses them, that he's praying what we know as the ironic blessing from number 6. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And indeed, in some church services, we still include a blessing as we send people out. 
reassuring people that, yes, you've expressed your dedication to the Lord this morning. You should go out confident that you are on the Lord's side, that the Lord wants to be close and he's blessing you for your commitment to him. But, but, read with me from chapter 10, verse 1. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their senses like saucepans, pans, put fire in them, added incense. Not here saying as Moses commanded, in fact, the contrary. They offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. They were doing something that Moses never asked them to do. They weren't trying to show they were on the Lord's side. They were taking an initiative. Perhaps it was sloppiness. They just thought it would be cool to do that morning. Presumptuous. They were priests after all. They could get away with it. Or we might get a a clue in 10 verse 8 that they were drunk. In 10 verse 8 we read, The Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting. We don't know. We do know that they offered unauthorised fire. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. The fire, just a verse or two before, it had come out and licked up the sacrifices, but now the fire came out and licked up them. Even as leaders, even as leaders, they weren't exempt from offering obedience from the heart. Leadership's not just going through the motions, just doing what you have to do as quickly as you can. Leadership's not being about impressive or innovative, especially if being innovative means going against the command of the Lord. Leadership's not about taking shortcuts just because it's all about getting results and getting results now. In fact, good leaders know that their rewards are in heaven and it's okay to sacrifice things in the meantime for our heavenly reward. Leadership's hard. And at least in part it's hard because it involves all of you, your heart and your might and your soul and your strength. Of, I was ordained in 997. Of, of those I was ordained with, I think only half are still in ministry and those who aren't are largely not in ministry because of moral failure. And that moral failure happened not long after they were ordained. These two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, transgressed what the Lord expected of them. They weren't in it with their heart and their all. They died before the Lord. So Moses, verse 3, says to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honoured. Aaron remained silent. Aaron can't complain. 
because it would probably invalidate his own priestly ordination to do exactly as the Lord instructed. In fact, later on in chapter 10, Aaron chooses not to eat the leftovers from the altar, though he was allowed to, because he didn't want people to think that he was celebrating on a day when he should have been mourning that his sons had not pursued the Lord. Leviticus tells us that we need to be holy for the Lord. Our God is holy. That's kind of our calling. And James chapter 3 verse 1 teaches us that God's teachers will be judged more strictly. Ouch. I never read that or pray that without feeling uh, most vulnerable. Each day, you as leaders need to say no to some things. And by saying no to some things, you'll be declaring whose side you're on. Each day, you need to be sharpening your doctrine that you might teach others how to be holy as the Lord our God is holy. And if your holiness is under threat, one, don't get drunk. Two, get a good night's sleep. There's nothing like having energy to resist sin because we've rested well. If your holiness is under threat, make sure that you're accountable to someone. If your holiness is under threat, please seek out professional help. People who are skilled can help you work out the affairs of the soul and how best to honour the Lord with all that you are. This whole chapter, this whole incident is a case study in how to think about holiness, how it is we declare we're on the Lord's side and how to teach others how to be on the Lord's side as well. In Exodus 29, which we looked at last week, we discovered that priests were those men who stood between the Lord and the people just as Jesus was to do as our great mediator in his death and resurrection. But in Leviticus chapter 9 and 10, we get an advanced lesson. The priests are to be holy and to teach other people how to be holy. So look with me at chapter 10, verses 8 forward. Uh, The Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink, wherever you go into the tent of meeting or you'll die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come so that you can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and so you can teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. Fundamental to the job description of a priest, was that they would be teachers. Now, we think that they're offering sacrifices. We've got lots of chapters about them offering sacrifices, exactly what kind of sacrifices, what kind of moments and so on. 
But actually, most of the time, priests weren't offering sacrifices. There were a whole range of priests who did this job. You might read that at the beginning of Luke's gospel where Zechariah was waiting for his turn to be the priest in the temple. Otherwise, he was doing lots of other things, mainly teaching. If you read Malachi chapter 2, you'll see Malachi's disappointment in the priests. Why? Because they weren't teaching the people. Or if you read Nehemiah chapter 8, when Ezra the priest gets up and preaches this grand sermon, most of the time priests were preachers applying the law to the individual people congregation before them. One of my best friends is a paediatrician and one of his chief skills, I think, as a paediatrician is observation because kids can't communicate what is really wrong. They just cry or they might point to their tummy. The paediatrician has to have a whole range of observation skills so they can pinpoint in the kid what an adult could explain with words. And then when they've used all their diagnostic skills to work out what's really going on, the paediatrician takes out of his or her medical chest exactly the right medication for exactly the right ailment, or at least that's the way we hope it works. The job of the priesthood, our job, is to apply the scriptures in focused, timely ways to the exact spiritual problem that's in front of you. As guardians of grace, as leaders amongst God's people, our job is to develop our observation skills so that we can best train this person or that person, this congregation or that ministry to be holy to be on the side of the Lord in ways that they presently are not. And it's hard work. It's actually missiology. How you help people uh, develop their holiness, how you help people to live their lives on the Lord's side is actually quite a challenging missiological dilemma. Some years ago I was uh, a rep for the AFES, the Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students, with their international conference, which was happening in Chicago. It was in 1991, so it was just the moment when the, after the Berlin Wall had fallen in 89, and there were new student movements being admitted, becoming officially IFES members. This was the problem. The Germans were being told they needed to have one student movement, not an East Germany student movement and a West Germany student movement. The South Africans were being told they had to have a student movement that was both black and white together. But they complained, the Germans complained and the South Africans complained, that how come in Canada you've allowed a French-speaking student movement and a Mandarin-speaking student movement and an English-speaking movement. How come they're allowed to have three different movements and you're telling us we have to be 
combined and unified. And what is it with the, with the Swiss? They have a French student movement and a German-speaking student movement and an Italian-speaking student movement. You're not telling them that they've got to be combined. That's so unfair, they complained. So in the debate in the uh, plenary, I made a speech uh, asking the question, why is it that Paul had Timothy circumcised but he did not have Titus circumcised? How is it that Paul can be flexible in the way he understands ministry on the ground? Perhaps it's because he recognises that certain contexts require certain expressions of what it means to be the holy people of God. And if there's already trust between the Canadian French and the Canadian English, that's fantastic. But if there's no trust between black and white in South Africa, that's a very significant gospel issue. Teaching people how to be on the Lord's side what it means to express their holy calling will vary from place to place, from congregation to congregation. So no wonder that we ask you, if you're going to be a pastor, to be at Ridley studying for four years, at least, of course. Because training people, training other people to live holy lives is actually a really complicated task. I'm not going to get into a plane if I think the pilots only had a brief experience on a simulator. But lots of people are prepared to get into churches where the pastor has had almost no training in helping people to know that they're on the Lord's side. Friends, I want you to be heroes of holiness, making every effort as the priesthood of believers to teach and train others in the scriptures. There's great biblical illiteracy in our churches. And there'll be no renewal in our congregation or in our diocese or in our country unless we can teach what it means to be on the Lord's side, teaching from his word. To teach people what it means to be on the Lord's side might involve your mentoring, but it certainly will involve your example. The power of imitation is magnificent. Letting others see into your life and into your soul to see how for you holiness is expressed. Yes, certainly be guardians of grace, but please as well pray into your life that God would make you a hero of holiness. Watch your life and doctrine carefully. Persevere in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Amen. Amen.